Today is what we do every first Sunday of the month, a celebration, an institution, an observance that has been around for 2,000 years. And the church has participated in what Jesus established as the recognition of and fulfillment of the Old Testament and the New Testament combined together, calling us as the New Testament church to a calling that he has given to all people of all generations and to understand who we are as the people of God. And that has been brought to us through communion, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And I would like to focus on that this morning. Many of you have seen the famous uh, Da Vinci's painting of the 12 disciples and Jesus. And a friend of mine years ago told me, do you know what was said just before that picture was made? All right, all you guys in the front here, go to the back. And he took a picture of them all sitting there. I don't think that's how they sat. But I found this online, and I really love it. And I don't even know who painted it. Maybe some of you do. But I think it really shows and it catches the atmosphere or the sense of these 11 men listening to the words of their master. Yes, there are 11 men, plus Jesus. And it was right after Judas had left to go and do what he was going to do, what he had in mind. This is a story that today's message might put in a different light for you as to what was going on and why what we're doing here this morning is so important. Let's read in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 15. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed, Jesus' disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. To follow on that, while they were eating, he took some bread and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. 
Father, we ask that this word would be an encouragement to us all, that we would understand what we're doing today, that we would, in fact, see where in every word, in every paragraph, in every sentence of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it points in some way to you. And so we thank you that we can bring attention to you this morning by looking at the scriptures, understanding what you were called to as our Savior and as our Lord. Bless this word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The outline is quite simple, and I've got a prelude and a postlude, the Last Supper and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then we go to the Passover meal itself in Exodus 12, 1 to 13, and then to the Feast of Unleavened Bread in 12, 14 to 18. And then understanding the Lord's Supper or communion. Exodus 12, 1 to 13 says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. The calendar that they had been living under for 400 years in Egypt was not the calendar that the Jewish people have today. And so the month that God is speaking to Moses and Aaron is change the calendar. I am changing the calendar for you. This month will be the first month of the year. And so from that day, Israel has gone by that calendar. On the 10th day of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, a lamb for each household. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. In other words, God was going to set his people free, but they had to do it his way. It had to be in a show of not just the plagues of Egypt, but this last show of who God is, is extremely important. In Japanese, what do we say for the number 10? Jew, which is what? The number 10. And we also have pointed to this several times before, that this is also Jew. Jubun. It's complete. It's full. So this is what God has in mind for his people. And it was significant in the Old Testament. In fact, the whole of the Old Testament points to the fact of it being necessary for mankind to be cleansed of our sins by the cross, by a lamb being slaughtered. It wasn't just a mystical thing that God laid on his people, but it was calculated. It was wrapping up all of their lives 
and their livelihood and who they were into this one event. And it marked them distinctively from the people that they were living with, the Egyptians. There were some Egyptians who were influenced by this and did this act of putting the blood on the doorposts so that God would pass over. And those Egyptians followed Israel out of Egypt. So God was not exclusively saying, I'm just going to save Jewish people. But he was, in fact, opening the gospel for the whole world. The lamb for each household, in verse 3. This lamb says that they would choose him on the 10th day, but they keep it till the 14th day. And what this lamb was like, I've talked about lambs before and sheep, but lambs are probably, how many have had a toy lamb? I see those hands. Stuart, you had a pet lamb. Because lambs are so cuddly, or at least they look cuddly. And we've talked about lambs before. Jesus was called the Lamb of God. And that's what that reference is, is Jesus being called the Lamb of God is pointing back to this very institution. Why would anyone want to kill a lamb? And why would God take one of the most gentle, loving animals and ask his people to kill it. I mean, if you were going to kill something, kill something that's terrible, like a wolf or something like that. But no, God had specific plans in mind when he made lambs, sheep. Let's go on. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Very conspicuous sign. Now this day will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. There were two specific celebrations that were given for a specific time. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened bread, what is leaven? Leaven is another word that we have for yeast. Leaven in the Old Testament and even used in the New Testament was most always, except for one place in which Jesus used it, but in all other cases, it was a negative thing. Leaven was talking about our sin, which puffs us up and makes us look so good, but really inside is just full of air. Leaven was something not desirable. As a picture and as a demonstration of what our sin is like. And so before the Israelites could take and kill the lamb and eat the lamb, they had to take the leaven out of their houses. So those two celebrations 
coincided. The night before they were to go to the room where they were going to have the Passover, and they would look around the house and find out if there was any leaven in their house. If they were, they were to take it and throw it away, destroy it, get it out. Unleavened bread is not puffy and beautiful. Unleavened bread is flat. It's like a cracker. It's not as delicious as anybody know Kobea <laughs> Bakery. Katie and I love their scones. And so we had one this morning for breakfast. And I said, does this have leaven in it? She says, of course it does. It's made with baking soda, which puffs up. It's a leavening thing. So that's what we had. But that's not what we're going to have here this afternoon. Unleavened bread is without a picture of sin. So when we had that picture of Jesus with his disciples, they were not eating Mr. Donuts. They were eating unleavened bread. Speaking of getting the sin out, Jesus came for that purpose, to make us sinless and to cover our sin, to pay for our sin. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove the leaven from your houses. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread on this very day. I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. And in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. So we have these two celebrations coinciding, the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They're hand in hand in the same chapter in Exodus 12. These were always to be together. And what it tells me is Jesus is the fulfillment of both the Passover meal and of the unleavened bread. Jesus has no sin. That night before Passover, Jesus instituted what is called the Last Supper. Let's understand the Lord's Supper a little bit. I would talk about it. Jesus' explanation is in John 6, 48 to 55. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Very specific, very pointed in his description of what the unleavened bread is. Understanding the Lord's Supper, Jesus went on to explain so much so that the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us 
his flesh to eat. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You think that that sounds hideous when you think of drinking blood, eating human flesh. Yes, it is. It is. It's almost like, no, why, why, why would Christians do something like this? To follow what Jesus is saying. How repugnant, how just don't even ask me to participate in this. But by the fact that we understand that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by his blood, he has paid my debt of sin to make me pure, to make me without condemnation and without the weight of my sin. This forces us to understand this celebration is not what it seems on the outside, but for those of us who participate in it, it is the truth of what Jesus became, the Lamb of God, shedding his blood for our redemption to pay for us where we could not pay for ourselves, and took upon himself the ignominious, the horrific abuse of the cross for my sin, for your sin, for our sin, for the sin of the whole world. Jesus took the leaven and removed it and brought us into a pure stance and a pure platform and a pure place where we could stand before the Father, the judge of all the earth, and say to his question, why should I let you in my heaven? And our only answer would be, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's what this meal is about. That is why this should draw us together as brothers and sisters to really understand what it is to be a Christian. It's not a set of rules. It's not, well, I'm better than you or any of these kind of things in which we as human beings readily compare ourselves with one another. We all stand naked before a holy God why should I let you into my home, into my place? And it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Your son, I believe in, I receive with thanksgiving and gratitude that my sins are forever forgiven and never been dredged up again. We are set free and that's why we celebrate with sincerity, with honesty. Every one of us who take 
this bread and this wine are admitting something that we are sinners and we need a savior and jesus is the lamb who gave us redemption through his blood that is the only basis on which any of us are even worthy to share this meal together and jesus took a 4,000 year ritual and turned it into a reality in himself as the Lamb of God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, who is this guy? Who is this person? He came as our Savior. And we are eternally grateful to him for the fact that we can stand before a holy God and before the world and before one another, standing in the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ, who was the only one, the only Christian to live a perfect life. That's my savior. And that's why we celebrate this. So I would like us to celebrate this with joy and happiness with understanding that God has called us to this celebration this morning or this afternoon now. If you are truly believing in Jesus Christ, and when I mean by truly, it's, well, you're gonna to have to pass the test. No, the test is, what is the Spirit of God saying in your heart concerning acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? Well, I'm not worthy. Well, if you knew the thoughts that I had. Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, I'm not that good. Those kind of thoughts come to us. I receive them all the time. But God wants us to be able to embrace this so that we are not counting on our own goodness. We're counting on the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven, his unleavened, without sin condition. And we take that to ourselves with his blessing, with his favor. Go in peace. So we welcome any of you. You don't have to be a member of this church. We do ask you for your own sake that you not take this if you really have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior. We don't want you to heap condemnation further on yourself. This is free without obligation. It's with joy that we come and we embrace everyone to come and share this with us. Father, we just commit this time to you. We thank you for this privilege that we have of being made righteous in right standing with you. For those things that come to our mind right now of our unworthiness, we lift that to you. None of us are worthy. We thank you for your death and for your resurrection. We thank you that your blood is enough to cover all of our sins. We thank you for this fact that you came to receive us 
but you could not, but for the blood of the Lamb. And we have tried over and over to cleanse ourselves, and there's nothing to cleanse us but your blood and your sacrificial giving of your life, a pure life, a life without sin, so that we might be free from the bondage and condemnation of our own sin, so that we walk in freedom and liberty and joy and gladness to be your children, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you. Bless this time together now as we reflect, as we receive this, as we celebrate, as we give thanks to you that we are free. We've been set free. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a quiet reflection, and it is a time in which we see this as a very personal time of reflection. But I think for Jesus and his disciples to share what was not just juice like this is, but was true wine. And I don't mean that we as Christians get drunk, but the fact that we are free from our sins and condemnation brings to us joy, happiness, satisfaction, peace, an understanding that we're okay that he has made us righteous and not we ourselves. And so it's like we just got drunk. We are free from those restrictions and we stand in his shed blood, redeemed with gladness. To the Lord, to his name, to the one who loved us, be honor and glory and power, dominion and praise forever to the Lamb who gave his blood, to the one who knows us best, we give him our thanks and our praise. Can you say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you.